engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Does the person regret having had having hired Paul Manafort to be his campaign manager? And is he and the rest of the White House concerned that this issue will distract from tax reform and the other domestic policy and foreign policy? We're not worried about it distracting because it doesn't have anything to do with us because this is something that is action that took place uh, outside of the campaign or campaign activity. And as far as whether he regrets having hired him for to be a campaign manager? I didn't ask him that question specifically. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. My goodness gracious, what a day. You know, I got to tell you, as an aside out of the gate here, it's a good thing we have an indictment today uh, from CNN's perspective or the CNN situation. They would probably have scuttled the AT&T Time Warner merger because uh, they reported this on Friday that an indictment was coming and no one else could confirm it. CNN sources no one else had. So good for them. Reuters eventually did confirm it, but we've got Paul Manafort. Uh, pleading not guilty, and one of his associates as well as Rick Gates pleading not guilty, um, and none of what they're being charged with has anything to do with the man with the Trump campaign. It has everything to do with former dealings, but there's also George Papadopoulos. George Papadopoulos pled guilty. And the he was cited, and this is where there's heartburn for the Trump campaign today. He was cited by the special prosecutor for proactive cooperation. He was a proactive cooperator. That is a very specific phrase, and it only comes up when someone goes in having being willing to plead guilty cooperates with an investigation by going in with a wiretap george papadopoulos went into the trump campaign wearing a wire or he went into to deal with manafort see this is what's so interesting here and let me i will break this down today for you and i will spend some time on this and let me just start with why the Trump campaign should be have some sweaty palms here. And it's George Papadopoulos and The Wire. We don't know what he was listening to. There's a lot of speculation. But why should they be breathing easy here? Well, this is about Paul Manafort. And what we know from the George Papadopoulos uh, guilty plea is that the senior level people within the campaign hearing Papadopoulos urging the Trump campaign to take meetings with the Russians said no that someone needed to tell Papadopoulos to, to drop it, to give it up. They weren't going to have these meetings. That looks good for the Trump team. But there's something else here. If you'll remember, back during the 2016 campaign, one of the things that Paul Manafort pushed very hard successfully was for the Republican National Committee to alter its stated position of the party on Ukraine to soften its position toward the Russian interests. You know, 
People aren't paying attention to Tony Podesta, John Podesta's brother. John Podesta was the chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Tony Podesta, his brother, was working with Manafort on behalf of the Russians. Folks, it is very, it seems to me a very good possibility that the Russians weren't helping Trump so much as they had Americans willing to help the Russians embed within each campaign for Russian interests. Listen, as long as there's been a United States, there have always been willing people willing to sell this country out for a price. And it looks like Manafort and Podesta were two people who, who might have been willing to do that. Uh, I would not be surprised if a, if a uh, Podesta indictment was forthcoming. But that doesn't mean Donald Trump did anything wrong. It means, in worst-case scenario, that the the Russians were trying to embed people in both campaigns, and they were successfully able to get closer in the Trump campaign for reasons I'm sure Mueller is interested in. Okay, so let's deal with Papadopoulos first. George Papadopoulos was a foreign policy advisor, and you can't see me, uh, but I'm using air quotes when I was a campaign manager and then a campaign consultant, one of the rules you were told in campaign management school, one of the rules that is repeated often in politics is give someone a title so that they feel important. And even the menial tasks they will do, they will do well because they'll feel important. They have a title. This is why you have all these dimwits on TV uh, with the title campaign strategist or, or campaign consultant or what have you. It was a bunch of idiots who licked envelopes in the back of a room and some campaign manager along the way told them they were a campaign strategist and they lucked into a TV gig. I never used that rule when I was running campaigns. And the reason I didn't do it is because I was very mindful of the fact if you give someone an important title in a campaign... And then they screw something up. Well, it's your your deputy assistant junior level campaign manager who screwed it up. Good luck convincing the media that guy had nothing to do with the campaign. So the Trump campaign gave George Papadopoulos a campaign of a as a foreign policy advisor. By all accounts, he really didn't do anything with the Trump campaign. In fact, here is um, Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, on Papadopoulos. Sarah, can you just explain what George Papadopoulos' role with the campaign was? It was uh, extremely limited. It was a volunteer position. And again, uh, no activity was ever done in an official capacity uh, on behalf of the campaign in that regard. And what about the outreach that he was making to campaign officials to try to put together this You mean that that outreach that was repeatedly denied and pushed away we're not going to take any action on that? Can you you, you explain what happened with his outreach? Uh, He reached out and nothing happened beyond that, which I think shows, one, his level of importance in the campaign, and two, uh, shows what little role he had within coordinating anything officially for the campaign. And, you know, based on all accounts, she's technically right. It was a volunteer position. He never got paid. He doesn't appear on the payroll of the Trump campaign. They just gave him a title. But good luck convincing the press because the guy got a title. See, the media is different from campaigns. Uh, 
because in the media you have to work very hard and for certain amounts of time to get titles. I mean, for God's sakes. Uh, so my producer, Charlie, I, he's my executive producer, I guess I get to call him now. He, he had to work for so long here to be able to get an actual title of producer, even though he's the producer and everyone calls him the producer. It took a long time working here uh, to be able to officially give him the title. That's the way it works in the media across the board. You got the gaffer, the gaff hand, the, the gaff hand pro, the assistant gaff hand, the assistant gaffer, and all these people work in a union shop. Uh, we're not union, but you get the, my point. And you got to work for certain amounts of time. You got to do certain things before you're allowed to call yourself something. And so the media reporters come from that world where it takes forever to, for someone to earn a title. And they see that this guy is called a foreign policy strategist for the Trump campaign. Oh, my goodness. He must be someone important. No, he licked envelopes and stamps in the back of a campaign office somewhere. But they gave him a title and made him feel important. Campaigns and media are exactly opposite of this. But I can get the media disconnect. Now, there's a problem here, though, because the guy was a gadfly. Apparently, he came from the Ben Carson campaign. Of course he did. He came from the Ben Carson campaign into the Trump world, was given the title of a foreign policy advisor, had contacts with the campaign, and spied for the FBI, or at least for, for, for somebody, doing something. That Papadopoulos is a proactive cooperator means he's been doing stuff for a while. The question is, was he doing stuff for the FBI or was he doing stuff for Mueller? Because remember, the Mueller investigation happened after Trump became president. If it was for the FBI, it could have happened beforehand. My guess, and this is only an educated guess based on what I've read today, is Papadopoulos may have had ties to Manafort and was ratting out Manafort, not the Trump campaign. If so, the Trump campaign does have something to breathe easy. If not, they may have more problems yet to come. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. You are listening to WSB. I am still Eric Erickson. There are days where I wonder, though. So let me give you the details. My buddy Dan McLaughlin at National Review has broken down the Papadopoulos problems. Let me just read you what he wrote real short. Papadopoulos lied to the FBI about his contacts with a professor who had substantial connections to Russian government officials. This professor claimed to have dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. Papadopoulos claimed to have obtained this information before he became a Trump advisor. In reality, the professor told him about the alleged Russian dirt only after he joined the Trump team. The statement of offense details extensive contacts between Papadopoulos, an unnamed female Russian national, and an unnamed campaign supervisor. Essentially, Papadopoulos was serving as a go-between to set up a potential meeting between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, a meeting that never happened. It's in that context that Papadopoulos also learned of the alleged dirt on Clinton. So it's all about the timeline. So then the, the next question is, is this proof of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia? No, there are no ties. 
In fact, Papadopoulos's meeting that he wanted to set up uh, was declined by the Trump campaign. So what's the deal here? Well, we know that Papadopoulos now, based on the timeline and his pleading guilty, we know that he came into contact with a Russian who had the Podesta emails. Those are the emails in question, the Podesta emails, the ones hacked from John Podesta. And that he tried to set up a meeting between the Trump campaign and the Russians um, related possibly to those emails. That's still speculation. Definitely a meeting with Russia. Was it about the emails? We don't know. Did the emails get into the Trump hands through this connection? We don't know. Where Manafort comes in with all of this is a lot of times what will happen is prosecutors will go after you for one crime and build pressure on you to get you to then turn the tables and and squeal on, on whoever they want you to squeal about. So maybe they're building pressure on Manafort trying to get him to squeal. There's just a problem with this. Manafort appears to be an agent of Vladimir Putin, and Putin doesn't like squealers. We'll talk some more about this when we come back. It is 38 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. One bit of housekeeping for you guys. Um, I have mentioned in the past that the Erickson family these days, we kind of live our life in three-month increments uh, between Christie's CT scans uh, for her lung cancer she has her next scan tomorrow. Um, we are praying for good scans. Uh, prayers appreciated. Um, but the result of that, it is Halloween and it is scans. And so I will not be able to be here. Uh, I won't be able to make it back in time from Atlanta to deal with the show and then take the kids trick or treating. Uh, it is also though, tomorrow is the 500th anniversary of the reformation. Or more precisely, it is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And because I will not be able to be here tomorrow, I will not be able to talk about it on the anniversary. And there's so much happening today. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it now. Um, so I'm going to do a, a special podcast. And if you would like to subscribe, you can text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 444-999. Uh, text the word SHOW to 444-999, and in so doing, you will get the podcast, uh, and I will talk about the Reformation, the impact. It it is a a massive impact on the world today, and not just the Western world, and it has been interesting. You know, I follow a lot of pastors online now on social media. I learned a while back it was much better for my sanctification to follow pastors instead of politicians and reporters. Um, But man, in the the last uh, 72 hours or so, they have been at each other uh, as much as the political class has on on social media over the Reformation. My Catholic friends antagonizing my fellow Protestants, Protestants antagonizing the the Catholics. It's been somewhat funny to, to see. And I do have to say, though, to all of you, my, my dear Catholic friends and listeners, uh, I, I know there are several priests in town who listen. Uh, yes, it is true. We, we, we have to claim the Episcopals. 
Well, I don't know that Christianity has to claim the Episcopalian Church anymore. They're kind of post-non-Christian these days. But, I mean, the the UCC, there are some wackadoo branches in Protestantism. That is true. I have to admit it. We all got to admit it. There are some wackadoodle branches. But the Catholics will always have the Jesuits. We should just remember that. Now, let's get back to this. Manafort stuff and the Trump campaign. One of the things I am seeing from a lot of people is that Manafort is charged. One of the charges against him is conspiracy against the United States. Is that the conspiracy against the United States? Is that in some way, basically the government saying treason without treason? No, it's not. Uh, and it's being badly misreported by some people. Conspiracy against the United States is a financial crime. Yes, makes it sound like treason. Well, given the the view of the government, I guess to some degree maybe it is. But it, it, it's financial crimes. Um, it is tax evasion from abroad. Uh, essentially, what Robert or not Robert Mueller, what Paul Manafort was doing was bringing money, wiring money into the United States from foreign bank accounts under radar uh, in a circuitous way to avoid detection by the IRS so he was not paying income on the money. That is the allegation. That is a conspiracy against the United States. Why? Because you are depriving the United States of revenue that you would otherwise lawfully be required to pay as taxes. And the only thing worse than plotting with enemies to bring down the United States government, according to the government, is to plot amongst yourselves to deprive the government of money it believes it is owed. That is a conspiracy against the United States. And that's how they can get him to rat others out. Remember, Al Capone did not go to jail for all the thuggish crimes. He went to jail over taxes. They always get you that way. It is always the cover-up. Rarely is it the crime. It's the people scrambling to cover up. And the question then becomes, uh, is the government in a situation where it is, uh, it's going after someone because the crime is minor, but they, they covered it up hugely. And has the campaign, has anyone related to the campaign fallen in that trap? And the question here is what pressure can be brought to bear on Paul Manafort to rat out others? And I just don't know that there's going to be a there there. You see, I, I've seen several people today say, oh, well, Manafort, uh, he would never have been arrested today. He would never have been indicted had he not gone to work for the Trump campaign. And so he clearly must not have taken that high profile work without pressure to do so, maybe from Putin. I mean, essentially, people are speculating today on the left. La Resistance is speculating that the only reason Manafort went to work for Trump was to serve as an agent for Putin, that he was compelled to do so by his employer, whether he wanted to or not. I don't know that I buy that. But even if you do buy that, it's really hard to then think that Paul Manafort is going to sell out Vladimir Putin and rat out Donald Trump or anyone else for that matter. 
I mean, the one thing we know is that Vladimir Putin does not hesitate to poison or assassinate people who he thinks are going to risk exposure. And I think Paul Manafort probably knows that. And so all the people said, oh, Mueller is going to be able to bring pressure on him and get him to rat people. I don't think so when you're dealing with Vladimir Putin. George Papadopoulos is low man on the totem pole. Small fish. Easily pressured. I don't know that Paul Manafort is. And so I think that shapes the investigation. Now, I suspect, I wonder if instead of going back to the Trump campaign, what if Mueller turns to Tony Podesta? See, the issue here is the Russian interference in American elections, and no one really doubts that they tried to interfere. But isn't it an intriguing possibility that the Russians tried it on a bipartisan basis? We're only hearing about the Trump situation because the media hates Trump's guts. But what about Tony Podesta? Hmm? What about him? It looks like, you know, Manafort could have been working on the Trump team for the Russians. What about Tony Podesta? Was he doing that too? Is his indictment coming? He left today from his lobbying group. He, he resigned his position or retired, so to speak. There may be more coming and it may not go in the direction anybody thinks. So if you haven't heard, Kevin Spacey is gay. I I had no idea, but it's actually, that's not the big headline, or at least it shouldn't be the big headline. He sexually assaulted a 14 year old. Just uh, the whole thing. Amazing. Uh, And I want to delve into this story when we come back. Uh, spend a little time on there because I think there's a bigger story here. We'll get back to the Manafort stuff as well. Uh, but, you, you know, so Kevin Spacey, apparently, there are the, the allegations against him uh, by the gentleman who said when he was 14, uh, Spacey tried to sexually assault him and, well, did sexually assault him. And he, um, Spacey came out today and said, uh, I'm sorry, I was, I had been drinking and I'm gay. And most of the headlines were, Kevin Spacey admits he's gay, finally. So Jonah Goldberg at National Review, he <laughs> he put a, a tweet out early, earlier today and said, Paul Manafort statement today, um, I was drinking when I did it and I'm gay. <laughs> and it's just par for the course today. The media treatment of this has been just asinine. Um, it, it, the whole thing is just horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, and there's more to come from what I'm hearing. In fact, years ago, Seth MacFarlane back in 2005, as part of Family Guy, you know, the, the, the baby in the family, Stewie, there was a scene where he was in a shopping mall or airport or somewhere and he, he runs out uh, and says, help, I've been in Kevin Spacey's basement, which begs the question of how much of this was an open secret like Harvey Weinstein. I suspect there was some of that. There are some other points here that I think we need to explore when we come back. There's also more about Paul Manafort out there today, and there's the Republican tax reform legislation. 
is it even going to make it through Congress by the end of the year? The Home Builders Association is the latest organization to come out crying foul, saying they want nothing to do with this. But the plan's not that bad. Uh, based on what we know of it, and we don't know everything, I will break down for you what I know when we come back. We'll take your phone calls as well, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. As always, you can get the podcast by texting SHOW to 444-999. It is uh, nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Those of you listening to the podcast, you can call in 5 to 7 Eastern, Monday through Friday, if you want to be part of the program. And those of you who are on the program listening live, if you want the podcast, you can text the word SHOW to 444-999. I will be recording, uh, since i got to be with Christy tomorrow for her cancer screening and whatnot, uh, and then trick-or-treating tomorrow night with kids, I'll be recording about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation as part of the podcast uh, for tomorrow. And you'll be able to get that. Now, before we get back into Manafort and all, there is another big story today. And that is the Kevin Spacey story. I don't particularly care about Kevin Spacey. I think he's an excellent actor. Uh, my goodness. Uh, the Usual Suspects is one of my all-time favorite movies. I love The Usual Suspects. And that is a movie that you can watch repeatedly and see new stuff every time you watch the movie. It is a, I just, I, I am enamored with that movie, and he was excellent as the lead character. He's apparently gay. I had no idea. I don't care. I don't care. I, I don't care who anyone sleeps with in the world. That is why it makes me so angry that people want us to celebrate um, people being gay um, because we are essentially forced to care about who people sleep with. I, 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 no one should be defined by who they're sleeping with. Uh, they should be defined by what they do in life. They're good works. Kevin Spacey is a good actor, uh, but he needs to also be defined by this accusation um, that he is not denying that he sex that he sexually assaulted a 14 year old boy years ago. Uh, the actor who he assaulted is grown up now uh, is an actor of some note and he gave a detailed interview with Buzzfeed about what happened to him about um, being, sexually harassed or sexually assaulted by Kevin Spacey. He was a, at the time, a 14 year old actor on, um, on Broadway. And he went to a party as a 14 year old and the kid was kind of left. His name is Anthony Rapp. He's 26 now. The kid showed up at the party. He was the only kid there. Everyone else was an adult. Kevin Spacey had invited him. And so he went into the bedroom and watched TV as just as a, as a 14-year-old. 
Uh, next thing you knew, Kevin Spacey's coming in and everybody's going home except for him. And Spacey, according to him, picks him up as if he's carrying a bride across the threshold, puts him on the bed, and then lays on top of him. And he pushes Spacey off of him and goes and hides in the bathroom and then lets himself out, uh, leaves. It was very awkward. And Spacey, what he claims is that he had been drinking. He doesn't deny it, but he's gay. And the media reaction is telling. So Kevin Spacey apparently was another open secret beyond just that he was gay. Esquire magazine reported that Spacey was gay back in the in the mid 90s. Um, nobody reads Esquire, so nobody paid attention to it. Um, and who cares? But this is more disturbing and more troubling. Netflix says it is canceling House of Cards, except they're not. They're in the middle of producing season six. And listen, this was going to be the last season anyway. Anybody who saw season five realizes this is it. They are out of ideas. Uh, The original House of Cards series is my favorite British miniseries. And it ends, this is a British series, and so it's about prime minister, not a president. Um, And it ends with uh, Francis Urquhart is the prime minister, and it ends with his wife having him assassinated so that their popularity with the public goes up. Uh, Claire Underwood now becoming president uh, in the series. I mean, you can imagine she was always going to kill Frank Underwood. Now, now it's going to happen in episode one uh, of season six. And so the last episode, I'm sure. Uh, But House of Cards isn't really canceling. It's in production. They're not canceling it. They're just not going to renew it after season six, which they weren't going to do anyway. This is Netflix trying to have it both ways. I have no idea. Uh, Now, they say that they were going to do another season. I I don't believe it. I really don't. Having seen season five, I just don't believe they were going to do it. Knowing the way the original British miniseries ended anyway. But this is, this is, we're only just now kind of getting there with the press and with Hollywood actors and people coming forward and nothing's going to change. But with this one here too, what was so interesting to me is that most of the major media outlets today and overnight when Kevin Spacey came out and addressed this, their headline was that Kevin Spacey admits he's gay. It wasn't that Kevin Spacey acknowledges he sexually assaulted a 14-year-old. It's that Kevin Spacey says he's gay. They were making excuses for Kevin Spacey because they like Kevin Spacey. Because Kevin Spacey is a popular actor. He's not inconvenient like Harvey Weinstein. Kevin Spacey still makes some money. So they were willing to give him a pass. You had all the major media networks this morning. Given Kevin's, and in fact, let me read you. I, I texted this to a buddy of mine earlier today. Uh, screenshots of these things. I can get them for you uh, right here at the, the tip of my finger. Um, it is just, it, it's fascinating the way these headlines were. Uh, numbers muncher on Twitter. Grab the screenshots. Uh, so the the New York Daily News. Kevin Spacey comes out as gay. Uh, this one is Reuters. Actor Kevin Spacey declares he lives life as a gay man. This one is ABC News. I choose now to live as a gay man. Kevin Spacey comes out in an emotional tweet. 
Uh, the Daily Beast, Kevin Spacey comes out as gay, comma, apologizes to Anthony Rapp. All of the major news outlets focusing on he's gay. That's why Jonah Goldberg and others were saying today, Paul Manafort needs to go to go to the courthouse today and say, Your Honor, I'm not guilty because I was drunk and I'm gay. It is so predictable, the media behavior. Like Harvey Weinstein coming out and saying he's going to attack the NRA. He's going to spend his time. He's going to go to sex rehabilitation, sex therapy. He's going to go to rehab for a week. And then he's going to spend his time going after the NRA. He knew how predictable the media was on this stuff. Kevin Spacey knows it too. It worked better for Kevin Spacey than Harvey Weinstein, though, because Kevin Spacey's still popular and well-liked. Despite this, and again, yet again, it's another open secret in Hollywood. How many more open secrets are there that none of us know, but everybody in Hollywood seems to know? I bet a lot. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, no, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> oh, I should, but I'm not. I'll have to discuss it with, with Charlie and see if it's appropriate during commercial break. <laughs> and if I have to ask... Oh, a buddy of mine sent me a, a Kevin Spacey joke that's just probably not appropriate. Oh, man. Nonetheless, we shall move on. <laughs> yeah, Charlie says he doubts it. It's a good joke here. Uh, um, yeah, I know people sometimes there are inside jokes here I can't share with you. <laughs> Um, what I will share with you, though, is I can't be here tomorrow because of Christy's cancer screening, and then I won't be able to get home in time and do the show and take the kids to trick-or-treat or pre-record the show or do anything. Um, so I'm not sure who's filling in, but thank you, whoever it is. Your prayers are appreciated. Uh, hoping for clear scans tomorrow. Um, but tomorrow is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing uh, his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And so I will be recording a special podcast about that because uh, there's actually a lot to say. It is one of the defining moments in history. It really is. Uh, think about how much different the world would be uh, if there was still just the Catholic Church and Christianity and not Protestantism. Uh, some of you, no doubt, think it would be a lot better. Uh, my Catholic friends have been needling me for days, and I've seen lots of arguments about it, but um, I don't necessarily agree. Um, and it has really helped us get back to Scripture and uh, the doctrines of sanctification and justification and the differences between them and all that. Um, so, yeah, I will be recording a podcast on that. When we come back, I want to get into tax reform some. There actually is some news out there. Sarah Sanders today at the White House talking about the tax reform issue. I'd like to start the briefing today by addressing a topic that I know all of you are preparing to ask me about, and that's tax reform. 
<laughs> Do you like the little joke? Yeah, we don't need to listen to what she said right now. She sounds so bored with the topic, even as she's trying to tell a joke. Uh, we'll get into her statement and what the GOP is is doing when we come back. What about 401ks? And now why, are the, why is the Home Builders Association coming out against tax reform? There are some answers here. And um, I want to say Andrew, but Chris, no, it is Andrew. Chris is the, the CNN lightweight. Andrew is the governor, uh, Cuomo of New York. They're both liberal Democrats, and he's crying already about tax reform. I will tell you why he's crying about tax reform when we return. It is 39 after the hour. Susan Collins, the senator from Maine, has come out and said that um, she doesn't want any tax cuts for millionaires in the Republican tax plan. Uh, and she will she's opposed to anything uh, passing the Senate if there are tax cuts for millionaires. Uh, so there you have it. The Republicans have a problem on their hands, and that is that they can't get Senate Republicans to go along with the tax plan. Not a not a good situation there if they can't get anything done with their liberal Republicans in the Senate. And let's not call Susan Collins a moderate Republican. She is a liberal Republican. Uh, I started to play for you the clip of Sarah Sanders earlier. Here's the full clip on the president wanting tax reform. I'd like to start the briefing today by addressing a topic that I know all of you are preparing to ask me about, and that's tax reform. <laughs> a couple of you got it. The initial House tax reform bill will be introduced on Wednesday by the Ways and Means Committee. This is the product of months of work and is now going through an open process in the House. The committee plans to mark up the bill next week, starting on Monday. The House is likely to consider the bill of the bill week of November 13th. In order to stay on pace, we want to see a House bill passed by Thanksgiving. This is very aggressive timeline, but one that will help us get tax cuts this year so families and businesses can plan for 2018. We look forward to the details of the tax bill being released on Wednesday, but today I want to take a step back and explain what we're working to do using an anecdote we can all understand. Yeah, but is it actually going to pass? That's the question. Can they even get anything out with Susan Collins already coming in opposition to it? Uh, you've got very few votes to spare in the Senate. Well, one of the things uh, that may kill it from the uh, taxpayer side is they want to limit the uh, 401k contributions. And, you know, Democrats rather say, well, most people can't contribute the maximum, so we should lower it. I think that's I think that's flawed thinking because what you're essentially saying is that we should limit people's ability to save for their own retirement, which makes people more dependent on the government. We should want as few people dependent on government for their retirement as possible. I'm not opposed to means testing Social Security, but you could never means test Social Security if you were limiting what people could put in their 401ks. That's going to be one of the sticking points. The other sticking point is the home interest mortgage deduction. They don't plan on scrapping it, but what they plan on doing is making the standard deduction so large that most people won't use it. And home builders are upset about this because they want people using the mortgage interest deduction because they think it spurs home buying and home ownership. 
which uh, that is a, a crazy position in my mind. Uh, they should be supporting this because it will stimulate the economy. Uh, we'll see if the president can wheel and deal on this, though, and get something passed. I'm not sure. Uh, before we go to the phones, and the phone number here is 404-872-0750, wsb talk To the phones we go. Uh, let's see. Eddie, you are going to be up first tonight in Johns Creek. Welcome. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you doing? Good. Okay, so um, apparently uh, the third grade class that my son is in has rewritten history, and uh, Columbus was actually trying to uh, find Asia instead of India, and um, and uh, he was, uh, you know, the stuff that they write on here in, in this thing is just beyond my imagination. Yes. Um, for those of you who know your history, he was in search of India, which is why uh, Westerners were called Indians. Right. Wow. Good grief. That's just, you know, this is not the first time I've encountered something like this in the past. Now, I will tell you that there is some research based on the Marco Polo diaries that were came out around Columbus that, that he also wanted to go to Asia, but his stated purpose originally was to go to India, knowing Asia was above India, and he wanted to go there. That's just... Stuff like that makes me mad. You know, it, it gets I'm glad you brought this up, Eddie, because this gets into the iconoclasm of the um, people who want to get rid of the George Washington uh, Memorial from his church in Arlington, Virginia. They wanted to get rid of the, the Robert E. Lee winning and the George Washington. Now, I've got to tell you, I realize uh, that we put Anglicanism and Episcopalianism in the, the Protestant Reformation, even though they really came from Henry VIII's divorce and not related to Martin Luther, and they really are Catholic, but for the Pope. Um, but there's no way I would put an altar, uh, e- anything about George Washington near an altar in a church. That's idolatry. But they did. And they're not getting rid of it because the the scales have fallen off their eyes regarding the Ten Commandments and idols. They're getting rid of it lest they offend anyone. But here's the thing with the Episcopal Church. They're not even a Christian organization anymore. They're not. Uh, And this is what happens to post-Christian organizations. If you're still in an Episcopal Church and you consider yourself a Christian, you probably should flee the building now lest your soul be put further in jeopardy. Um, and this is just an example of them catering to the world. I mean, they are catering to the most hysterical set. I doubt very highly there are very many Episcopals in this country who are offended by the idea of a memorial to George Washington. But they still have maybe 10 parishioners at this church, and they needed to figure out a way to get rid of those 10 so they could sell the building to the Muslims, I'm sure. <laughs> No, I kid. But, you know, that actually, oh, the, the old bishop, I do seem to recall reading an article where, where where the old heretic who was the bishop, you know, the woman who accused Paul of of uh, his abuse for casting a demon out of a woman. She deprived he deprived the woman of her gift, according to the heretic. Um, I, I do seem to recall reading a uh, article one time where she suggested that with some of the empty property that the Episcopal Church holds, that they would be happy happy to sell it to Muslim organizations, but they would not sell them to any of the Episcopal groups that were moving back to Christianity by joining the Anglican Church. I mean, that whole denomination deserves to collapse in on itself. Another study, I believe, from Yale or Harvard One suggested that the last Episcopal in America has already been born, that they have such a 
terrible, they're the, the most rapidly declining denomination in America. Um, if everybody packs up and leaves, nobody shows up at this church anymore. I, I, I won't blame them. Um, these people just, I mean, why do you even go to church if you don't believe in Jesus and miracles? I mean, you claim to believe in Jesus, but you really don't. There's just no point. I mean, why don't you sleep in on Sunday? I don't, I don't understand people who they want to go to church, but they don't really believe. So we have callers calling in to say that I'm being picky by saying that um, India versus Asia, because India is on the continent of Asia. So technically, it's true to say Christopher Columbus was looking for Asia. But no, it's not technically true. He was looking specifically for India, the Indian subcontinent. He was not looking for Asia. And that completely distorts the the history where you learn why do we call American Indians Indians? Because of Christopher Columbus, who thought he had landed in India. And so the natives were Indians. Um, no, I, I, this, this is no, I, this is not being nitpicky. This is an actual uh, point of history that should be, I think, clear and distinct. So frustrating. Uh, by the way, housekeeping note, uh, Jamie Dupree is going to have a live online chat tonight about the Manafort indictment. It's at 9 p.m. on WSBradio.com. He's going to answer your questions. He's going to take your comments. Uh, it's our Washington insider. Jamie Dupree is 9 p.m. on WSBradio.com. You can participate with Jamie in a live chat. Highly recommended. He's got lots of details. Uh, there's an interesting detail that has come out this evening. The judge in the case has waived attorney-client privilege in the in the Manafort situation. Uh, on the speculation from the Mueller team that Manafort consulted his lawyer on how to break the law. Therefore, a judge has overcome attorney-client privilege and will make Manafort's lawyer testify against him. Um, Mueller ain't playing beanbag here, folks. Uh, this is something else to behold. Uh, remember, get the podcast for the Reformation uh, text show to 444-999. See you guys Wednesday.